Journey to Pentecost, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia. Today, on the 50th day after the Great and Holy Feast of Pascha, and 10 days after the Feast of the Ascension of Christ, we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost and the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the Apostles, the establishment of the Church through the preaching of the Apostles, and the baptism of the thousands who on that day believed in the Gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. We'll commemorate the feast today with Irene Psaromatis of the Greek Orthodox Christian Ladies Group and Socrates Dokos, group leader at the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. We will also play you hymns chanted by the Sydney School of Byzantine Music, along with Greek traditional songs sung by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. This is The Journey to Pentecost. The Sunday of Holy Pentecost with Irene Psaromatis of the Greek Orthodox Christian Ladies Group. Dear brothers and sisters, 50 days have passed since we celebrated the Feast of Pascha and we have now reached the Sunday of Pentecost. On this day, God's promise regarding the coming of the Comforter, the third person of the All-Holy Trinity, also known as the Descent of the Holy Spirit, was fulfilled. It was at this point in time that the Church officially appeared in the history of mankind. This historic occasion is described beautifully by St. Luke the Evangelist in the Book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 The tongues of fire symbolize the manner in which the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and his function. In his interpretation of the fiery tongues, St. Gregory Palamas explains that in this way, the one essence of the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, becomes apparent, since God is a consuming fire, and also to show the twofold action of the Holy Apostles' preaching. Because just as fire on the one hand illumines and on the other hand consumes, just so does the Word of God illumine those who are obedient to Him, whereas the disobedient condemn themselves to the fire of hell. 
In the time we have available, it is worth taking a closer look at the role of the Holy Spirit, and particularly the communion of the Holy Spirit, something which we are constantly reminded of through a prayer said by the priest at every divine liturgy. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Saint Seraphim of Sarov used to say, the purpose of the Christian's life is to acquire the Holy Spirit. The first thing the Holy Spirit conveys on the faithful is illumination, enlightenment. This enlightenment is not an academic human knowledge. It is a divine enlightenment which enters into our hearts imperceptibly and mystically and reveals to us the truths of heaven. It is like an introduction into the spiritual life. We begin to understand things and situations in the spiritual realm which previously escaped us. Our ties with Christ increase and gain strength. Hear the words of the Apostle, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, are realized. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 We might say, for example, that Jesus is a great teacher or a great moral prototype. These descriptions mean nothing in reality. But to accept him as my God and my Lord, as Thomas did, This is what the Holy Spirit achieves. Another change affected by the Holy Spirit in each of the faithful is a kind of transformation. We witness this change in the life of the apostles, from fishermen to reformers of the world, from illiterate and simple people to most wise preachers of God's wonders. This change, this alteration which the Holy Spirit brought into the life of the apostles into the life of the first church is apparent in the life of the faithful of every era. Christians right through the ages have witnessed to this. It is like a new force which appeared to the world on that holy day of the first Pentecost and remains within the church through the ages to today. It is a new law, an unprecedented state of affairs. It is the power of the Holy Spirit which is full of life and gives life to those who live in communion with Christ through the sacramental life of our Church, because it is the all-Holy Spirit that holds together the whole institution of the Church, Vespers of Pentecost. In this holy and sacred place in the Church, a spiritual new world is born. The old things pass, everything is made new, wondrous. The person, previously a slave of sin and a servant of evil, is changed. According to St. John Chrysostom, a wolf enters the church and becomes a sheep. The vainglorious receives grace and becomes humble. The lover of money becomes charitable, and the lover of pleasure, clean and pure. The Holy Spirit being continually present and active in the life of the church leads to the knowledge of God, inspires, makes wise, equips the faithful, makes perfect the priests, works wonderful cures, gives life to those who were dead by sin, proclaims the saints. Just as a hymn from the Vespers of Pentecost tells us, the Holy Spirit supplies all things, and all this freely. However, in return for all these things, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, has a great desire, that we allow him to enter our lives that he may come and dwell permanently in us, 
to fulfill us with his presence, to change us, to brighten us, to sanctify us, to establish us as partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 This is his purpose, to help us back to our God-given destination, that is, to achieve the likeness of God and reach theosis by grace. Alas, we live in difficult times. The story of the Tower of Babel from the Old Testament is well known. At that time, the languages of the people were divided. Selfishness, pride and confusion arising from sin led the people to disorder and chaos. But with Pentecost, we have unity and accord amongst people. Unfortunately, today the state of Babel dominates the world. And despite speaking the same language, we still cannot understand each other. People today try hard to build their own tower of Babel, their worldly paradises, through their autonomous egotistical powers, and fail miserably. Brothers and sisters, As we try desperately to liberate ourselves from the terrifying consequences of the coronavirus, which has totally terrorized and continues to distress the whole world, let us join our prayers so that the Holy Spirit may lodge and reside deep within our hearts and govern our personal lives. Let us take up the spiritual struggle with a humble and pure heart, most necessary element to attract the Comforter. Let us entrust to him our fears and concerns, as well as our desires and hopes. Let us open the doors of our soul for his divine inspirations, and sincerely let us ask, Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, come and dwell in us. Amen. Oh,
Orthodox Reflections on the Pentecost Kneeling Prayers with Socrates Thokos, Group Leader at the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. Dear friends, on the day of Pentecost, as is customary, an extra service is chanted at the conclusion of the Divine Liturgy, the Great Vespers of the Feast of the Holy Spirit. In this service, the priest recites the familiar kneeling prayers of Pentecost, intoning the faithful three times, again on bended knees, let us pray to the Lord. What are these prayers? What is their significance? And why do we kneel? We should firstly say that the act of kneeling when we pray is a mark of our deep evlavia, that is, our profound, reverent, respectful attitude toward God. It is a gesture of humility, repentance and contrition. In kneeling during prayer, we are following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who according to the evangelist Luke, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before his betrayal and arrest, knelt down and prayed. Luke 22 verse 41. And we have the example of the apostles, including that of St. Paul, who after his final parting words to the presbyters at Ephesus, knelt down and prayed with them all. Acts 20 verse 36. According to St. Simeon Metaphrastus, the 10th century Byzantine hagiographer, and other writers, St. James, the brother of our Lord, used to kneel so much in prayer that his knees had become swollen like those of a camel. Kneeling in prayer is an integral part of our orthodox ethos. And yet our church, in its wisdom, from very early on in its history, adopted the custom of not kneeling in prayer during specific days, namely on Sundays and in the period of 50 days from Easter to Pentecost. Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, for example, a disciple of St. Polycarp, who in turn was a disciple of the Apostle and Evangelist St. John the Theologian, wrote in the 2nd century, The practice of not bending the knee on a Sunday is a symbol of the resurrection, through which we were delivered by the grace of Christ, both from our sins and from the death which was put to death by Christ himself and the 20th canon of the First Ecumenical Synod states, Since there are some persons who kneel in church on Sunday and on the days of Pentecost, with a view to preserving uniformity in all parishes, it has seemed best to the Holy Council for prayers to be offered to God while standing. Whenever we stand in prayer during the 50 days of Pentecost, we affirm the truth of Christ's resurrection using our own body, which will also be resurrected on the day of judgment through Christ. This way we fulfill the instruction of Apostle Paul, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20. 
During the 50 days between Easter and Pentecost, we do not kneel in prayer. We kneel for the first time at the kneeling prayers during Pentecost. As an important aside, however, we note that the canon of the First Ecumenical Synod does not forbid kneeling as a pious act of reverence on Sundays or even during the 50 days after Easter, but only in quotes that prayers be offered to God while standing, end quote. St. Nicodemus of the Holy Mountain, in explaining this canon, makes a distinction between kneeling in prayer and that of great prostrations, that is, when we fall to our knees and touch the ground with our forehead, such as when we venerate holy icons, or during the, during the consecration of the holy gifts during the liturgy. These acts of piety and reverence are not forbidden by this canon. On Sundays or during the 50-day period after Easter. Evidence of this are the very hymns of our liturgy, which proclaim even on Sundays, let us worship and fall down before Christ. And even in one of the Kathismata Resurrection hymns of the first ode, Tontafon Susotir, the hymn ends with these words, we fall down before you, the one who was resurrected from the tomb, our only God. After all, we read in the Gospel of Matthew how Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, when seeing the resurrected Lord, fell down and, in quotes, held him by the feet and worshipped him. Matthew chapter 28 verse 9. Such acts of piety directed toward the resurrected Lord are not forbidden, even on a Sunday. The three kneeling prayers of Pentecost are solemn petitions addressed to God the Father and the Son, but not directly to the Holy Spirit. The latter direct prayer is reserved in our church only for the prayer Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, which is directed to the Holy Spirit. Kneeling altogether as one body, we implore God for the most sacred and important things of this life, forgiveness of our sins, wisdom and prudence, our very salvation. We even pray for those who have departed from this life, for whom the third prayer of kneeling is dedicated to. Why do we pray for the deceased at this sacred moment? because praying for the departed according to the saints of our church is one of the greatest acts of charity we can do for another for two important reasons. Firstly, because the departed have the greatest need of our prayers, being utterly unable to help themselves. And secondly, because it is the one act for which it is not possible to receive any reciproca reciprocation or thank you in this life from those whom we benefit, making this a great charity indeed. In the first prayer of kneeling, the priest asks from God, from your holy dwelling place, look down upon your people present here in expectation of your rich mercy. Visit us in your goodness, free us from the oppression of the evil one, make our lives secure within your holy and sacred laws 
Entrust your people to a faithful guardian angel. Gather us all into your kingdom. Grant forgiveness to those who hope in you. Remit them and us our sins. Cleanse us through the work of your Holy Spirit. Put an end to the wiles of the enemy. What an all-encompassing prayer. What more could we ask for than to be gathered together in God's kingdom? In the second prayer, the priest prays on behalf of each of us for our spiritual progress and maturity. Grant me the spirit of wisdom in my thoughts, the spirit of prudence in my ignorance. Let the spirit of the awe of you overshadow my deeds. Renew a steadfast spirit in my breast, and let your guiding spirit make firm my errant mind, so that each day, led by your good spirit towards that which is profitable, I may be worthy to keep your commandments, ever mindful of your glorious and soul-searching presence. And in the third prayer, Truly great is your mystery, Master and Maker of all, of the temporary separation of your creatures to be united again in everlasting rest. We confess your grace in all things for our entrances into this world and our departures, of which our hope of resurrection and a life of bliss, according to your certain promise, are the guarantee. May we enjoy it in your future second coming, for you are both the pioneer of our resurrection and the just but compassionate judge of our lives and master and lord of our reward. These prayers are an expression of God's love and goodness, the source of all our blessings, expressing his great mercy toward us. Dear friends, may we keep the blessings of these prayers with us our entire life. May they be for us a fulfilment of the words of Jesus to his disciples. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17. May it be so, dear friends, for all of us. Amen. Oh, God.
hope that you've enjoyed our series on the journey to Pentecost. Stay tuned for new podcast releases from the Greek Orthodox Christian Society in the very near future. Details to be announced very soon.